So last week we took a, a week off and had the opportunity to hear Pastor Craig give us a, a Father's Day message, which was awesome. But we've been traveling through the holy history. We started with uh, a, uh, a warning that God gave Pharaoh thousands of years ago. And uh, it was a warning that came in a dream. And the warning was about a famine that was going to come. Um, people were going to be without food. And so uh, God spoke to Joseph in dreams, and he gave Joseph the ability to interpret Pharaoh's dream. Joseph was elevated to second in command in Egypt, and they saved the world from famine. And uh, Joseph's family, which uh, we know as Israel, came to Egypt, and uh, the Egyptians became their saviors. But their saviors soon turned to slave masters, and uh, then they were crying out because now, uh, whereas they had been placed in this wonderful land of Goshen where uh, they were able to thrive, uh, the Egyptians were afraid of them, turned against them, turned them into slaves. They began crying out. God raised up Moses. Uh, this was a, a lengthy process. But uh, by the time Moses was 80 years old, he came from uh, the desert. He came back to Egypt. Remember, uh, until he was 40, he'd been raised as an Egyptian in the court of the Egyptians as really uh, a son of Pharaoh. And uh, he returned 40 years after that, and uh, God used him to deliver the people from Egypt. You would think the people would be really excited about that. Who wants to be a slave, right? Do you want to be a slave? No. no you want to do what other people tell you to do? See, the, the thing about slavery, and, and I'm not trying to make light of something that this country has a, a bad reputation regarding, but the thing about slavery is there's a degree of security there. See, but are you willing to trade your freedom for security? Oh, we're doing that right now, aren't we? See, I, I see a, you know, a parable here of the government offering to take uh, everybody under its wing and to help everybody and pass out pandemic checks, Right? And then soon, uh, the government becomes the, the overlord and the government becomes the master and the government is able to tell you, well, you do remember that you were told that you couldn't leave your house, right? Uh, you know, we were all afraid and what was going to happen. So uh, there are lessons there, certainly. Um, the people left Egypt. God performed a lot of miracles getting them out of there. Uh, there were 10 plagues that were designed to get um, Pharaoh to let them go because, you know, he wasn't willing to let slaves go so easily. The final plague was uh, the, the death of the firstborn. So every firstborn child, whether it was a, the, the, you know, the, uh, the offspring of a, of a heifer or a lamb or a ram or whether it was a human offspring, died unless they did what the Lord said, which was stay inside and put the blood of the lamb over the lintel and doorposts of their house. And then the death angel would pass over them. And so the death angel passed over Israel, at least all of Israel who were willing to obey. And uh, the Egyptians thrust them out and said, get out of here, we don't want you. And then we know the most famous miracle of all is the crossing of the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds. Uh, they were trapped between the desert and the sea, between a rock and a hard place, between the devil and the deep blue sea. And God opened the sea and they crossed on dry ground. And then the Egyptians, who changed their minds suddenly and were chasing them in chariots, uh, chased them into the Red Sea. How presumptuous, right? And uh, God uh, moved Moses to uh, close the Red Sea by uh, waving his staff, if you will, over it. And their enemies, their captors, their slave owners, their masters were drowned, and they were free. You would think they'd be rejoicing, right? Well, they did for a minute, 
But three days after the Red Sea, they were already grumbling because when they came to this place where they thought there was going to be water, the water was bitter. And so they grumbled against, uh, you know, well, it doesn't say they grumbled against God yet. It just said they grumbled, they complained, they moaned and groaned. And uh, I gotta, I gotta admit, I'm like that. I, I complain and moan and groan when things are not going my way. Anybody else like that? Do you ever complain when things aren't going your way? Do you act like a toddler about it? Some of you, I remember you when you were toddlers. Oh, you're pointing at your brother. Do you know he's pointing at you? Point back at him. He didn't even know you were pointing at him. He's wondering why I'm talking to him right now. Um, Nonetheless, we can do that. Even as adults, we can, you know, cry and throw a fit like a preschooler or a toddler or something like that because things are not going our way. Um, So then, you know, the Lord gave Moses this uh, ability to throw this uh, this basically like a tree into the water and it sweetened the water. And then uh, he showed the people an oasis where they were for a time. And uh, they moved on, and then they were without food, and so God supplied manna, and they were without water again. So God uh, gave Moses the, uh, the wisdom and the miracle to strike a rock, and this was right near Mount Sinai, and the water came flowing out. So God is constantly providing for the people in the wilderness, but the people get progressively more hateful toward God and toward Moses and toward Aaron. And they grumble, and their grumbling gets worse and worse, and it gets more and more bitter. Um, And so then they get to Mount Sinai, and Moses goes up, and he gets the law from God, but they are immediately ready to turn back around and go to Egypt, right? They're ready to go back to slavery because, as I said before, slavery is bad, but there's security in slavery. Hey, we had food. That's what they said. You know, we remember when we had the pots of meat beside the Nile. All they could remember was that they could fill their bellies when they were in Egypt, but they weren't free. But see, now this insecurity that they felt because they didn't trust God. Hey, there's a lesson for you there. When you don't trust God and you look at the world, you are inevitably going to be insecure. Now, a lot of us want to have enough money so that we're not insecure. Money does provide a modicum of security. But have you been watching the stock market lately? Okay, I don't have a whole lot of money in my retirement. In fact, I probably could retire for about a year. So I need y'all to keep coming, all right? (laughs) I know I'm getting old, but y'all gotta keep coming because I can't retire um, unless I know that I'm gonna die in about a year. So if if I retire, you'll know, Pastor Darrell's gonna die, (laughs) all right? But my retirement is, is, you know, it's nothing. It's, it's uh, you know, um, a deferred annuity is what it is. And so a long time ago, I allocated it so that they could invest this. And in, in, I didn't know what I was doing. Invest this here and invest that there and securities and socks and blah, blah, blah. I didn't know what I was doing. So, and I've just left it there. My annuity has lost 25% of its value. That's ridiculous, man. It was already low. See, what I'm trying to get at is you can't even trust money. You know, inflation is so high right now that money is not worth what it was. You know that, right? You're still thankful that you got the, the few thousand dollars in pandemic checks? Because I'm guaranteeing you gas prices alone have blown that out the window. Okay. So money is insecure as well. We got to trust God, right? Uh, you know, we trust our country, we trust you know, money, all these different things. But the reality is the only person that we can completely trust is God, and these people were having a hard time with that. 
They'd been slaves their entire lives. That's all they'd known. That's all their relatives had known. And they really didn't trust God. They were, as I've said before, they were of the opinion, God, what have you done for me lately? I know the Red Sea was so three months ago, God. What have you done for me? I know we pick up manna every morning. It's like free food from God, but we're sick of this manna. They were sick of it. We want meat. We remember what it was like to be in Egypt and we had meat and leeks and onions and garlic. They were free, but they didn't care. They just wanted meat and leeks and onions and garlic. That sounds gross to me, at least the, the leeks and the onions part. I know Craig would hate the onions. Craig would probably be the one that would be like, I'm going to go back to Egypt eating those stupid onions. Right? And leeks, I don't know what leeks taste like. Do you know what a leek tastes like? It just... Oh, is it an onion also? It's like a lettuce onion. A lettuce onion. Boy, Craig would really hate that. The... I remember we had the lettuce onions and the onions. What I'm thinking is these people had some really bad breath then, right? Wow. I mean, you know, there are children in the room, but I'm just wondering how they reproduced. But okay. Um, Anyway. Honey, get away from me. Stop eating those leeks and onions, right? So... Yeah, Moses is up on the mountain getting the law and the people are already ready to go back. So they say, hey, Aaron, here's what you need to do. We've always worshiped gods that we could see, statues. So make us up a statue. That's going to be our God. And we're going to go back to Egypt. We're going to let that God go in front of us as if you could just invent something and it's God and it's going to be able to protect you. But that's what they did. And Aaron cooperated with them which is really sad in my opinion, but he did. And Moses came down off the mountain and the people were partying. Man, they were excited because they were getting what they wanted. They got a statue to worship because they were used to worshiping statues. They were gonna go back to Egypt. You know, they they were scared and tired of being in the desert. They weren't really thinking what it was gonna be like to go back to the Egyptians who had chased them on chariots, right? But whatever, you know, we deceive ourselves into believing all sorts of stuff. And so they're having a a party, and the language in the Bible indicates that this wasn't the nicest, healthiest, cleanest party in the world. There was some shenanigans going on. Let's just put it there. We've got the kids with us, but I'll let the rest of you imagine what those shenanigans might portend. Um, But in any event, Moses breaks the Ten Commandments, right? Grinds up the calf that they'd created and spreads it in the water and makes them drink it. And my thinking has always been, you know, Moses is saying, you make God sick. Now I'm going to make you sick with your idol, right? And uh, so, you know, they finally get through with what they're doing at Mount Sinai. They've been grumbling all along. They grumbled with the bitter water. They grumbled when they were hungry. They grumbled when they were thirsty. Thursday. Oh, that's a good one, Thursday. They were thirsty. Are you thirsty? In the end, the people of Israel didn't trust Yahweh that he was a good and loving father. They didn't see him as who he was, their savior, their deliverer, right? Um, They were supposed to be heading for the promised land. Now, this wasn't some invention of Moses, right? It goes all the way back to Abraham, 
So by the time, by the time we come to uh, Moses and the children of Israel being delivered from Egypt, it's already been a thousand years since their ancestor Abraham was given the promise to receive the land between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean that today we know as Israel or Palestine. Um, it was known as in uh, Roman times. And they, you know, this, this promise that God had given Abraham had been passed along to all of them. So now this was their goal. They weren't just free just to wander around the wilderness and, hey, we're free. What are we going to do? They were free to go and receive the promise that God had given them. So they had a goal. They were going to go from Egypt to Mount Sinai, get the covenant law from God, meet with God, and then they were going to go to the promised land. God was saying, I will be your God, but you need to obey me. Now, that was the nature of their covenant. You obey me, I'm going to be your God, and then I'm going to give you what I promised to Abraham. But if they didn't obey, God can still keep the promise to Abraham, but he could give it to their children or their children's children, right? He could continue to, to go down until there was a group of people that obeyed him. Well, long story short, and we'll get to this next week, it was not these people that were freed from slavery, but it was their children who ended up going in and inheriting the land. Again, we'll talk about that next week. But they just didn't trust God. That was their problem. That's why they had the, what have you done for me lately, uh, attitude. They, they just could not see that the promised land was anything that was real. And so their grumbling turned into blasphemy against God and mutiny against Moses and Aaron. Um, and this happened right at the edge of the promised land. They've been grumbling, grumbling, grumbling all along, right? They get to the edge of the promised land. They're right there. They can look in down from the mountains. They can look and they can see this beautiful land down there. And God has said, this is yours. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not going to have to do something. They would have to work. They'd have to go in and take the promised land. So what they did is they sent 12 spies in to check out the promised land. One spy from each of the 12 tribes. As 12 tribes went in, 12 spies, excuse me, from the 12 tribes went in, and they went throughout the promised land and they checked it out. And then they came back. And they said, you know, it really is a beautiful land. It really, really is a good land. One problem, though, there are people there that are bigger than us, and we're scared of them. They said, there are actually giants in the land, and we appeared as grasshoppers in their sight, and so we appeared to ourselves. See, when you look at yourself in the eyes of somebody else, you don't get a good idea of who you are. So you look at this group of people that are supposed to be your friends. One day they're acting like your friends and the next day they're not. The next day they're whispering behind your back or they're calling you names or uh, you know, perhaps you had a group of friends until we hit a particular political issue and suddenly you're coming down on one side, they're coming down on the other side, they gather in their tribe, right? And they're all you know, rejecting you. The, the thing is, if you're looking at those people in order to determine your value, then you're looking in the wrong place. See, these, these people, they're, they're God's children, but they're looking at themselves in the eyes of people that don't even know them. You know, this is what, what blows me away is that we are apt to consider the opinion of people that don't really know us at all and let them judge us. 
and then we judge ourselves the same way, right? So we're looking at ourselves in the eyes of public opinion. Now that wouldn't normally have been something that we would, enable, would have been able to do, but we can in the age of social media, right? So, you know, you, you post and all these people come against what you've said. You post and nobody says anything about what you've said, which by the way, is not always that they don't care. If you understand algorithms that Facebook and Twitter and Instagram use, there are certain things that you will say that simply will not appear in everyone's timeline, right? So that doesn't always mean, but the thing is we can measure ourselves by what other people think and not get the correct evaluation. We don't know who we are just because other people look at us in a certain way because they have a set of standards that may not be coming from God, may not be coming from scripture. It may be coming from a, a culture that is opposed to God and scripture. Nonetheless, the Israelites saw themselves as grasshoppers and grasshoppers don't make good warriors, do they? Right? I mean, I, I guess if you have enough grasshoppers, they can eat crops, but grasshoppers don't make good warriors. Now, what if they had seen themselves as praying mantises? Oh, that would have been better. Have you ever seen a praying mantis? Do they, do they even have those around here? Like, like we had praying manti. I don't know if that's the way you say it, mantises, when I was a kid. And they were so cool to catch because they have these, these little arms, you know? And like you give them something and they... And that's more of a warrior bug, but grasshopper's not very, you know, much of a warrior bug. So these people didn't see themselves as warriors being able to fight and take the promised land. What they saw was, yeah, there's cities there, they're fortified. I don't think we can take a fortified city. There are giants in the land. These people are bigger than us. They're stronger than us. They're meaner than us. We're scared. We don't know why you brought us here. So they cried and cried. Now, of the 12 spies that went in. They all said, hey, it is a beautiful land. That's true. It does flow with milk and honey. That's true. But, right? And the 10 of them said, but we can't. And by the way, I don't want you to say this, okay? But I, I, I say this in karate a lot of times. I don't want you to say it out loud. In fact, there are certain words I don't even want you to say in your mind. But I'm going to tell you what the worst four-letter word in the English language is. Are you ready? What do you think the worst four-letter... Don't say it. Unless you know what I'm going to say. What do you think the worst four-letter word in the English language is? Oh, it's that word that my mom told me not to say. Here it is. You ready? I'm going to say it. Can't. Can't. I can't do it that will mean that you won't do it now because you will fulfill your own prophecy. You just prophesied over yourself. I can't do it. Now you won't do it, all right? You know what my Bible says? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, amen? So I had a, a youth pastor when I was uh, first a Christian. Um, this is Rick Owsley. Craig and Rachel, and I don't know if you knew this or not, but he had a sermon 
that all of his sermons became famous because he was just so good, okay? Um, but he had a sermon based around Philippians 4.13, which was the passage or the verse that I just quoted to you, right? I can do all things through Christ. In fact, let's say that it will encourage you and it will encourage me to see that you're actually paying attention. Say, I can do, I can do. All, things all things through Christ, through Christ. who gives me strength. Gives me strength. So, okay, don't, don't keep repeating that. <laughs> So Pastor Rick um, preached that sermon. I mean, we got fired up. I can do all things. I can do. I can do. I can do all things. Forget can't. It's the worst word in the English language. We all fired up about it. So a bunch of the youth leaders got together and they got him a specialty license plate. No joke. And it said can do. That was his, it was a K though, because I think somebody had the C one. It was true. It was can do with a K. So I want that to be your motto, not this I can't, I can't, I can't. Your parents tell you to do something, right? They, they tell you that you're, you're, you're better than you're, you're acting right now. You can do better. You can do more. And you're like, I can't. And you blame other people. You blame your Egyptians, right? You know, these people are over me and, you know, my teacher doesn't like me and all these excuses that we make to say that we can't. When the reality is we just don't believe and we won't, okay? That is exactly where the people of Israel were, okay? They just did not believe they could do this except for two of them. And the two that believed were Joshua and Caleb, okay? These were the only two. Joshua and Caleb. And they ended up being the only two that went in and took the land later. But let's listen to what the scripture says uh, the people said and did. So after the, the, the 10 spies said, we can't, we can't, there's giants in the land, the cities are fortified, there's nothing we can do, we can't do it. The people believed the 10 spies not Caleb and Joshua. Caleb and Joshua said, don't listen to them. God is on our side. How many of you know that if God is on your side, nobody can oppose you? Here's another verse for you. Say, if God is for us, who can stand against us? That's a question, but what's the answer to that? Nobody. Joshua and Caleb believed that. If God is for us, it doesn't matter of these giants Okay, so many years later, David proved that. Remember King David and Goliath, and he slew the giant, he killed the giant with a, with a rock from a sling, right? It doesn't matter how big they are, how strong they are, how powerful they are, how rich they are, how persuasive they are, how connected they are. It doesn't matter. If God is on your side, nobody can stand against you, amen? That's what matters. But the people believe the 10 rather than the two. This is Numbers 14, two through four. And all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the entire congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or even if we had died in this wilderness. So why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not have been better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's appoint a leader and return to Egypt. This is what they'd been doing all along. They were addicted to slavery. They were addicted to the security of relying on the government to supply their needs. They didn't want to trust God. 
They didn't want to believe that former slaves could become warriors and fight and take the promised land. They would not believe. They refused to believe. They were constantly seeking to return to slavery. And now God gets upset with them. This is Numbers 14, 27 through 32. Same chapter, a little further down. God says, how long shall I put up with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I have heard the complaints of the sons of Israel, which they are voicing against me. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. Now, before I continue, one of the things that they accused God of was of taking them out of the safety and security of slavery in Egypt to kill their children in the wilderness. You didn't just bring us out here. See, it's not just God, you don't care. God, you're not providing for us. No, now they're accusing God of being a murderer. Now they're accusing God of bringing them out there with the express purpose of killing them in the wilderness. That's not why God brought them out of slavery. God brought them out of slavery so he could give them the best. God has the best in store for you. The world promises you all sorts of things, but the world lies because the world is under the dominion and the power and the persuasion of the father of lies. What's the name of the father of lies? What's his name? Satan, which is a word that just means enemy, opponent, right? So they accuse God of bringing them out of Egypt to kill them. And even meaner was their accusation that he brought That is, God brought them out of Egypt to kill their children. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. Your dead bodies will fall in this wilderness. All your numbered men, according to your complete number. This would have been the soldiers, the men who were over the age of 20 and able to fight. From 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me. By no means will you come into the land where I swore to settle you, except... For Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Your children, however, whom you said would become plunder, I will bring them in, and they will know the land which you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies will fall in this wilderness. You know, Jesus said, do not judge. Finish it. But with the measure you use, You get judged in accordance with the way you judge. People will do this to you, but I got news for you. Sometimes you get back exactly what you give out to God. You judge God to be mean, then you're going to see a mean God. Not that he is mean, but that's all you're going to see. You judge God to be an absent God, that's what you're going to experience, an absent God. If you understand God for who he is, that he is a protector, that he is a provider, that he is a good, good father, then that's exactly what you're going to experience. Jesus was saying, stating clearly what happened to these people. God said, is that what you think? That's what you're going to get. You judged me to have brought you out here to kill you. Well, guess what? You're leaving my protection behind. You refuse to go in and take the land that I've offered you. You're going to die, as you've said. You get what you wish. You get what you want. Guess what happened? 
The people spent the night and then they got up in the morning and they said, oh, we were just joking. Oh, we'll do it, we'll do it. And Moses said, don't. That was the last straw with God. God said, you cannot take this land. It's gonna be your children that do. Oh, no, 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 we'll, we'll do it. And Moses said, don't do it. So they went and they decided that they were gonna fight this group of people. And they went in, they went without Moses, they went without the Ark of the Covenant. Guess what happened to them? Oh, they got defeated, right? That's what happened to them. So there's a lesson or several lessons here that I want us to learn. I, this is really where I wanted us to get in the Holy History. And tomorrow, tomorrow, next Sunday, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about the promised land and I want to, to use that as a way of us understanding the, the land of promise that God has for us because he does. God has a land of promise for you and for me, for this church, for uh, his people today. And we do need to fight our way through that land of promise. But let's see what happened here. These people were stopped by their own unbelief and mischaracterization, misjudging God. They were judging God, misjudging God. And so they missed out on what God wanted to give them. Gosh, I wonder, is that you? Are you so enamored, enchanted, inured by the world, believing its lies, its false ways and false pathways, that you're missing out on what God has for you. Young person, children, adults, God has something amazing for you. We often tell our kids, you can be whatever you wanna be. But I think then kids grow up and become disappointed if they start chasing things that they wanna be and find out that that's really not the best for them after all. I'm gonna say it this way. You can be what God created you to be. And it will be better than anything you could possibly imagine or create for yourself. The thing that you need to be doing is not chasing some dream that just popped into your head or some goal based on some celebrity or sports figure or something like that that you wanna be like. What I want you to do is I want you to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and I want you to chase him, and I want you to look to him to discover who and what you are. Quit wasting your time doing stuff that isn't really you. Now, when you're young, as I've said a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, you need to try things out. And, and I don't mean bad things, but I mean, go out there and, and try different stuff and see what works in your life, but pray yourself through it and choose to discover who God created you to be, not some image that you are creating in your mind. Because the reality is that doesn't often work out like you think it will work out, okay? So I want to very quickly conclude this message by covering four lessons that we can learn and perhaps a series of questions I can ask you as we apply the holy history or this part of it to ourselves, all right? So first, I want you to understand God doesn't want to leave us in the wilderness, amen? He doesn't want to leave us in the desert. It is intended to test and strengthen for the fight to take the promised land. Pastor Craig did a great job last week of talking about training and discipline, right? How our good father trains us and disciplines us. 
He's seeking to make us into what he wants us to be. Uh, as a, a sister in faith uh, remembered last week and presented to me, um, there is a story in Jeremiah where Jeremiah was brought to the house of a potter, right? Have you ever seen a pot made by hand, right? They take the clay and they smoosh it and they put water on it, smoosh it some more, right? And then they put it on a potter's wheel. So they have like a little stool like this and they have this, this round table up here and it's connected by this column and it is uh, on bearings so it will turn. And the potter does this with his foot, he pushes it. And when he pushes it, the table spins around, right? And he takes a lump of clay and he puts it on that and he pushes it with his foot, okay? So here we can imagine this, this table here. He pushes it with his foot, the table spins around. And as he puts his hands on it, it's really cool, it starts shaping, all right? And then it becomes what the potter has determined it's gonna, it's gonna be a bowl, it's gonna be a cup, it's gonna be you know, whatever it is, okay? Well, Jeremiah was sent by God, urged by God to go to the home of the potter. So he goes to the home of the potter and the potter is making a pot. And it was marred in his hands. What does the word mar mean? It was messed up, all right? So sometimes when you make a pot, you know, maybe the clay isn't like, uh, the texture isn't right all the way through. It's a little dry in a certain place and you do this and then it breaks. Then what do you do? You smash it. You smoosh it. You smoosh it back down. Do you throw it away? No. If it had that little dry place in there, you open it up, put a little water in there, squish, 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 smoosh, smoosh, smoosh. And you put it right back on the wheel and then do what? You remake it. That's you. That's me. There's lots of times when the Lord has to smoosh us and make us and remake us. God doesn't intend to leave us in the wilderness. When we're going through difficulty, realize we're being trained to reign. We're being trained to take the promised land. I like this uh, scripture from James. James 1, 3, 3, and 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Amen? Amen. Children, endurance is what you're doing right now by sitting there listening to my sermon this long. But the sermon will make you a better person if you'll pay attention right? Number two. So number one is God doesn't want to leave us in the wilderness. It's intended to test and strengthen us. Number two, grumbling against God proves that we don't believe in his love and his goodness. Wow. When I grumble, I'm saying, what have you done for me lately, God? I'm not giving him thanksgiving. I'm not offering him the praise that he's due. Well, this is what it says about that in Philippians 2, 14 through 16. Do all things without complaining or arguments. How many things are we to do without complaining or arguments? All. all things. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach. That means nobody can say anything about you and it will stick. Above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Do you realize you live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation? Don't let it bend you to become crooked like it. Don't start believing the lies that our culture is telling or you will become as perverse as the culture. We are to rise above that. 
We're to be above reproach in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Number three, what do you do when there's trouble? Here's the question. What do you do when there's trouble? Do you trust God or do you test God? Do you praise God or do you blame God? Do you persevere and press on or give up and go back to your old ways? You know what? I'm tired of this whole church thing, this whole God thing. I've heard people actually say this. I'm just going to take a break from God. You know what usually happens? That break extends a long time. And pretty soon, they're just like the rest of the world. They've just gone back. As the proverb says, and as it, as it is quoted by Peter in the New Testament, like a dog that goes back to its vomit. You ever had a puppy? Who's had a puppy? Yeah? Has this ever happened? Because I've had lots of puppies, right? Or a cat. Um, a couple of our members have a, a cat that's going into labor this morning. Um, <laughs> you guys know Teresa and Manny, and so they, they were going to be here this morning. Their cat is in labor. Um, so they will experience this, I'm quite sure. Okay? Kittens and puppies can do this. They throw up. Did you ever have a puppy throw up? Yeah. You ever have a kitten throw up? Sometimes it's like a hairball. Have you seen that? They lick themselves and they get all this hair and it's like makes this ball of fur and it gets stuck in their throat and they go and this giant ball of snotty hair comes out of their mouth. Okay. But I've seen dogs, usually puppies, who throw up on the ground or sometimes, I know this is even grosser, maybe, I don't know, they poop. And then, you know what they do? I know, you know. All the adults are like, don't say it, don't say it. They go back and they lick it up. And then their breath smells like poopy breath. And then they want to come and lick you in the face. No, evil dog. But that's what the proverb means. Your sin, your past life. You without Jesus, running around, doing whatever, lying, cheating, stealing, messing around. And then you turn around and you say, you know what? All oh, that's wrong. I want to follow Jesus. I want to come over here and I want to follow the Lord. And then things get rough and difficult, challenging. And you say, you know what? I'm going to go back to Egypt. I'm going to go back to my vomit. I'm going to lick it up. Exactly. That's what you should think of when you think of going back to lying, cheating, stealing, being bad. When you know if you follow Jesus, things are going to turn out all right. It's not going to always be easy. God didn't promise it was going to be easy. Okay. I like this verse. This comes from the next chapter in Philippians, Philippians 3.14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Say, I press on. Toward the, goal. toward the goal for the prize, for the prize. Of, the of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what you need to chase, not some false dream, okay? So that's what I need to do. And number four, and the last one, God has a plan for us, Lifewell, amen? amen? And it's bigger and it's better than what we've experienced so far. And I hope to bring this more to bear and to be more clear about it next week. Um, 
but our promised land flows with milk and honey. The question is, will we have the faith and the courage to fight the giants of doubt and fear and take what God says is ours? Will we? We will see. But my firm faith is in a good and loving God who has placed us here for a reason. Even if we look out there and we see the squares all torn up and the street over here on the side, you can't get in and you're having to park 100 miles away and walk in, guess what? Things are only gonna get better. Well, they might get a little worse first. <laughs> in fact, next week, that street over there is gonna be closed down and they're gonna close the parking down across the street. And you're like, I'm staying home. No, no, persevere. We need to practice being a big church, amen? amen. And if you were going to a big church, you'd have to park further away, wouldn't you? And you'd have to walk in and you'd be saying, man, I'm a part of this big old church. That's really awesome. I don't care if I'm parking 100 miles away. But, you know, you hear at Lifewell and in this little bitty building and you're like, well, that's just inconvenient. <laughs> Actually, that's not you or you wouldn't be sitting here this morning. All right. Um, but we appreciate you for listening today. I hope that you've allowed the Lord to speak to you. And uh, we're going to be down here in the front. Uh, we're going to be ready to pray for you and pray with you if you'd like for us to. We've got a couple more songs that we're going to sing. Those of you that joined us online, thank you so much for doing so. Bless you, and we will see you soon, we hope. Um, uh, we're going to sing, and we're going to pray, and we're going to let the Lord do what he wants to do.